Hello and welcome to Changing Birth. I'm your host, Hannah Wilsmore. I'm a midwife, award-winning childbirth educator and life coach, and I'm here to make birth better. I've worked with hundreds of families as they prepare for the arrival of their baby, so I know all about the highs, the lows, and everything in between. In this podcast, I share my knowledge, practical tips and insights so that you too can have a positive birth and transition to motherhood. Let's get into today's episode. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. This is all around how to write a birth plan. Super practical episode, lots of tips, and hopefully something that you can really get started with creating your own birth plan. Now, the term birth plan, I know for some people can feel a little bit too intense. Sometimes it feels like, well, if we have a plan and it doesn't go to plan, then things haven't gone right or things haven't gone to plan, I guess. And so for some people, they prefer to use the term birth preferences or birth map, which I am totally on board for as well. So pick whatever word works for you. I'm going to use the term plan because I think to me, we have a plan for a lot of things in our life. If we go traveling, if we go on an overseas holiday, we have a plan, right? If we're getting married, we have a plan for the day. We probably have a plan B and a plan C, but we still have a plan, right? And so to me, I don't mind the word plan, but I know for some people it can feel a little bit triggering. So pick whatever word works for you. Then with the birth plan, I want you to remember that we don't want to just consider the ideal scenario. Yes, we do want that to be front and center and we want to put that time into making sure that your birth team and your partner know what you want, know what you're working towards and know what your preferences are in certain situations. But we also want to consider other scenarios as well. So considering things like if you do need an induction, what are you comfortable with? What questions do you want to ask? Um, how comfortable are you going over your estimated due date or how far are you comfortable going over? And that's a good thing to discuss with your care provider earlier, not necessarily at 40 weeks when you're trying to make that decision and you're a bit over it at that point anyway. So things like that, I think are really important. Also considering in the case of a cesarean, what are some of your options and your preferences in that scenario? And then also considering things like what if it does get quite intense, what are you wanting to try? Are you wanting to use water like the bath or the shower? Are you wanting to use maybe options like the nitrous gas or the gas and air? So there are different, lots of different options that you've got and a birth plan is helping to um, communicate that with your birth, your birth team and also your birth partner. It's really important to remember that this birth plan is not a rigid blueprint of exactly how your labour and birth is going to pan out. It's really an opportunity to consider what you'd want and to make sure everybody is on the same page. And I think when we take the pressure off of it having to go like this, I think that makes them a lot more useful. We want this birth plan to be practical. We don't want it to be just a set of wishes and desires for our birth. We want to consider, okay, what's the plan A? What's the ideal scenario? Then what's the plan B? Um, and what's the plan C, which we often talk about in, in a cesarean and things like that. Sometimes people will say to me they don't really want to create a birth plan. They just want to go with the flow. Now, I can totally understand why some people feel like this. And um, I do often hear comments from people, um, not necessarily my clients or pregnant women, but just other people saying, oh God, birth plans, you know, if someone's got, you know, a long birth plan, that's probably the length of their labor, you know, the longer the birth plan, the longer the labor kind of thing, which I just find actually really like insulting and um, yeah, just totally inappropriate. But anywho, um, it is, I think a birth plan, it's not, um, 
it's not necessarily about not being flexible when it's needed, but if we go into our birth being super flexible, going with the flow, it's so easy to be caught up in what your hospital is suggesting or what your care provider is suggesting. And so many people then feel like they ended up on this kind of um, intervention train where one thing led to another, then led to another, and they didn't realise how much of an impact that was going to have. So for example, a really basic thing is what we call this cascade of interventions with induction of labour. So with an induction of labour, um, for most people, they're going to say that it is more intense and often the contractions and the intensity can come on quite quickly and that's that can be quite different to a spontaneous labour. And so what we often see with induction of labour, not always, but often is increased need for pain relief. And especially if we're looking at things like epidurals, we know that that generally means that women are going to be in the bed because they can't usually stand up and walk around because they can't wait bare. We also know that means that we lose gravity when it comes to labour, but also to the pushing part of labour. Being in an upright birth position has lots of benefits for labour, especially that pushing phase. It can reduce the total length of pushing time, but it can also reduce the need for instrumental births like the Vontus and the forceps. Something a lot of research has shown is an increase in instrumental births with the use of an epidural. So you can kind of see what I mean in that sometimes it's just that first decision of having the induction that then leads to more need for pain relief, then more interventions, and then maybe more need for an instrumental birth. And that's quite a short summary. There's lots of other other things that kind of go into that. Um, That's just one example. And of course, sometimes inductions are really needed and we need to kind of work with that um, cascade of intervention a little bit. But so many people are just signed up for an induction. I was talking to a client a few weeks ago who was just told um, by their care provider's receptionist that they would be booked in for an induction. It wasn't even a discussion with their care provider. It was just a statement from the receptionist when they were booking their next appointment. So, you know, to me, that really screams lack of informed decision-making around understanding the induction process, but understanding how that cascade of intervention can increase. Um, We know some providers do a lot more inductions than others. I see that with my clients. I see some care providers where for almost... Yeah, a good a good portion of the clients that see them, they will suggest an induction for them, or they might suggest a, a cesarean. Um, and of course, sometimes those things are needed. But like I said, some providers do them a lot more than others. Now, this is totally your decision, but this is what I mean about getting swept up in the flow of your hospital or your care provider. You might um, decide to do what they're suggesting. Uh, and that's totally okay, but it, it should be you making that decision. It shouldn't be you feeling like you're just being swept up in that process and not understanding why. I work with a lot of people that have had a traumatic birth and often they will say that they felt like with their last birth, they didn't know why they needed the cesarean. They found out later that they didn't actually need the induction. There was no medical indicator for the induction and they weren't told that at the time. So they're, you know, it's really important to start considering what you want, start asking questions and talking to your care providers about these things. Um, I think yeah, if we go with the flow, it is that slippery slope into feeling overwhelmed and not knowing what your options and choices are. Labour and birth is not the time to be learning about all of your options and choices. Your brain is not really in that capacity to do that at that point because it's switching off that neocortex, that critical part of your brain. And so we just 
um, want to allow it to do that rather than having to learn all these things and learn all the pros and cons of different options while you're actually in labour. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to have a huge birth plan. If there's only a couple of things that are really important to you, it might just be half a page and that is completely okay. But I would just encourage you to have a few things written down. Even if you know your care provider and you trust them, still have it written down so that you've got that to refer back to on the day. So then we'll move into what should you actually include in a birth plan. So essentially the answer is whatever is important to you. I would really encourage you to personalize it and not just use a template. Uh, Women that do a course with me will receive a birth plan template, but I really encourage them to edit it, to delete things, to change things into their own words. It's just a starting point. I would really highly recommend not just printing off a generic one online. Lots of people do this, but it needs to be personalized to you. I want you to know that every dot point on that birth plan is important to you and you understand what it means. If you're reading through a generic birth plan online, and don't get me wrong, that can be good for ideas, but if there's something on there where you think, oh, I'm not bothered about that, then don't put it in there. Just delete that section out. Don't feel like you need to just put stuff in for the sake of putting it in. Um, Most care providers will take birth plans quite seriously. And I know for me as a midwife, it helps me to provide better care because I know exactly what that woman and what that family wants. I'm not having to ask her a million questions in labour. And that's why I want to make sure that everything that is on there is actually important to them. And like I said, it can be as long or as short as you like. Just make sure anything that on there is important to you, anything that isn't, take it off and add in extra things. So the type of things I would suggest considering is looking at if everything could go perfectly, what type of birth do you really want? Do you want a natural birth with no interventions or an induction or a planned cesarean or an epidural? Now, We know that we can't always control exactly how our birth is going to go, but it is really important to start considering that and to put that in your birth plan so that that is communicated to your care providers. I have some clients that I work with who are having a planned cesarean. Um, Hypnobirthing is not just for people who are having a um, natural birth, and a lot of the work that I do with clients is around preparing them for a cesarean birth or preparing them for an induction. So you might have in there that this is our birth plan, we're having a planned cesarean, but this is our wishes. So definitely not just for natural births. Then consider, are you wanting any pharmacological pain relief, things like an epidural or gas or opioid medications, or are you hoping for a physiological birth? Now, that again is a personal decision, but you want to outline that in your birth plan. If you are hoping to use or open to different pharmacological pain relief options, put that in there. Put in there what you are comfortable using and what you're not comfortable using. If you are aiming for a physiological birth, you might want to put something in there like, um, please don't offer me pain relief. I know my options and will ask for it if I feel that I need it. That can just be helpful because it's like if you're running a marathon and someone keeps saying to you, you sure you're going to be able to do it? Aren't you really tired? Aren't your legs getting really sore? Like, you know, there are options you could stop if you want. It's kind of tempting. And so if you are working towards a physiological birth, I'm not saying you can't ask for those interventions if you want them, but you just don't want it to be constantly suggested, especially if you're doing uh, hypnobirthing because your brain is really open to what other people around you are saying. Then consider what other techniques you'd like to use. Are you wanting to use breathing, hypnobirthing, active birth techniques, movement, TENS machines, things like that? Put that in there as well. Do you want access to water? Do you want to use the bath or the shower? Do you want a water birth or a fitball to sit on? All of that stuff is good to put in there. And you can just, you can phrase it however you like, but something like, I would like to remain active in labor. I would like to use a fitball. 
a birth stool and have access to the bath or shower if possible. Something like that, you know, super simple, but effective and communicates what you want and what you're working towards. Also consider in the event of an induction of labor and a cesarean, what you would want. And so with inductions, I would ask your care providers what what they use for inductions, what induction methods they use so that you can have a good understanding. Ask them if you can still have access to water with an induction. This depends on your care provider and hospital policies as to whether you will still be able to use the bath or the shower. Uh, And also freedom of movement is really important in any birth, but especially with an induction when we have those interventions going on. So I would encourage you to request uh, waterproof and wireless monitors. Um, Generally with an induction, we would recommend what we call CTG or continuous monitoring of your baby's heart rate because we know that inductions often do carry that high risk. So we want to keep a closer eye on a baby's heart rate. And so if you are having that continuous CTG monitoring, then asking to have a wireless and waterproof monitor. I would recommend that for everybody, but again, especially if you're having an induction so that then you still have more of that freedom of movement. Then also consider in the case of a cesarean, you do have options. So things like, would you like immediate skin-to-skin contact with your baby? Would you like them to be placed on your chest? If your baby is healthy when they're born and you're well, then you can absolutely have skin-to-skin after a cesarean birth. Um, This is something which I get quite frustrated when some of our hospitals still do not offer women to have skin to skin after a cesarean birth. A lot do, which is fantastic, but I've had clients who have requested this who have been told, oh no, we don't do that here. It's our policy to not do skin to skin after a cesarean. That to me, to be honest, like language warning is total bullshit because if a baby is healthy and a mum is healthy, um, then there is so many benefits to that skin to skin. I'm not talking about babies that are unwell and maybe need some oxygen or need to go to a NICU. That's different. Yes, I know we can't always do skin to skin straight away, but we need to do better for women and families, especially after cesarean birth. Skin to skin is one of the first really beneficial steps in supporting your body's oxytocin system, but also in supporting breastfeeding. And we know that sometimes uh, having a cesarean can interrupt some of those breastfeeding hormones. So as care providers, why would we not do what we can to then get things back on track? So a little bit of a segue there, but that is something that drives me absolutely crazy. You know, the World Health Organization recommends that we do skin to skin for all births if a mum or baby are well. So you know, it's it's not this hippie thing. It's not rocket science. Um, some people don't want to do it. Some women are feeling unwell after their cesarean. They're feeling shaky or nauseous. And that's fine. I totally get that. But all women should have that option. So yeah, immediate skin to skin in theatre. If that's something you're wanting with a cesarean, put that in there. Um, would you like the drapes to be lowered as your baby is emerging so you can see them being born? Or would you like delayed cord clamping? Things like that. So you do have options with a cesarean birth. And I'm not saying that you necessarily need to do all of these things, but I would encourage you to research them and to decide what you'd actually you know, like to do and what things are actually important to you. So once you have written your birth plan, what do we then do with it? So what I would suggest is printing off three copies. I would have one for your partner one to pack in your labour bag and one to discuss with your care provider. And when discussing it with your care provider, I would suggest doing that before 37 weeks if you can, because ideally 
we want to have a discussion around the birth plan before you're actually in labour. And we know that from 37 weeks, you are classed as full term. And so some babies will will be born. Uh, So I would go to one of your appointments with your midwife or doctor and just say, hey, this is our birth plan. Can we just have a bit of a chat about it? Can you have a read and can we have a discussion about it? It doesn't have to be like you're handing over a contract and saying, this is how my birth's going to go. I think that's sometimes what people worry about with a birth plan. Um, But really, to me, all care providers should be supportive of birth plans because it's not, you know, um, it's not being unrealistic or anything like that. It's just outline what you would like and what you wouldn't like. And really, as part of respectful maternity care, we should be acknowledging what people would and wouldn't like. And I'm not saying that care providers should go along with it. If there's something in the birth plan where they don't think is safe or would be recommended, then of course, as a midwife or doctor, we should be saying, look, I see that you've got that in there. I wouldn't recommend that for your circumstances because of this reason. This is why this is what I would recommend instead, but it's your decision at the end of the day and I'll support you either way. Now, if I think that would be great if care providers could say it like that. Um, I know not all will, but to me it's a big red flag if a care provider says, oh, I don't do birth plans or they refuse to discuss it because if they're refusing to discuss what you want, that to me is not very women-centred at all. Like I said, it's not like you're handing over an unrealistic plan that says, I will have a vaginal birth and no intervention. You know, we know that sometimes things change and sometimes that's not the safest option for all women. But you are discussing with them what you'd like, what you'd like in different scenarios and making an informed decision. And I think all care providers need to be respectful of that. And um, yeah, and I, and I think most are, you know, it's it's quite... Um, uncommon now for me to have a client contact me and say, hey, my care provider uh, says that I can't have a birth plan or that they don't do birth plans. That's not the norm. Um, I have definitely heard that before and I have heard it a couple of times in the last year, but I think most care providers are really supportive of it. Also get them to file it in your notes so that it's good to go. Um, And then also make sure that your partner understands everything on there as well so that they can advocate. And if maybe the care providers are saying something uh, that, for example, maybe if we're talking about that um, continuous CTG monitoring again, um, they might just pop the monitor on. It might not be the wireless one. So you might feel like you are then, you, know, you have to stay kind of on the bed or near the bed. So if your partner knows that and knows why that's in the preferences, they can say, hey, you know, do you have a wireless monitor? Is there any chance we could use that so she can still move around? So make sure either write it together. I think that's ideal. But if you're not writing it together, make sure your partner knows everything that's on there and understands why it's on there so that they can actually advocate. So to summarise, I do really think that every person can benefit from having a birth plan. They are a communication tool between you and your partner and your care provider. They're not a blueprint of how your birth's going to go. Um, so you don't need to get too caught up in, oh, is this too wishful or is this too unrealistic? Like just put what you'd like in there, then consider other scenarios, consider inductions, consider if it gets too intense, consider a cesarean birth, put that in there as well so that then when you get to labour, you've got a game plan for different scenarios. You're not having to think, oh, what will I do in this scenario? What will I do in that scenario? It's there. Your care provider knows what you want. Your partner knows what you want and you're all on the same page. If you would like more support with this, you are welcome to join one of my classes. As I said, all of my clients receive the birth plan template. That's a Word document that they can work through in their own time. And we often chat back and forth a little bit about that. Also in one-to-one sessions, I'll often work with people in creating their birth plan as well. So there's lots of support out there. 
if you would like some help in creating a birth plan, but I just encourage you to get started, start building it, start early, discuss things early with your care provider, and it will go a long way in in helping you to have a great birth experience. Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. And if you're enjoying the podcast, I would be ever so grateful if you could rate and review on your favorite podcast player. See you next week.